Hello, this is Brian Leach from Unboxed Training and Technology here in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, welcome back to our podcast. And I have Dave Romero, uh, who is the co-founder of Unboxed and president of, of the company. And Dave, it's so awesome to have you here uh, today on our podcast. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I'm glad to be here. You know, we're going to talk about the challenges that sales teams face with training today. And Dave, I know you get a ton of opportunities to work with our clients and yeah. uh, have seen your share of challenges in our 10 years of <laughs> unboxed history. Um, and, and I think it'd be a lot of fun to share some of that learning with our, with our uh, guests today as they listen in. Yeah. But, you know, let's just jump in and uh, I'd love for you just to talk about some of the key challenges you've seen with sales teams with training. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. Well, there are challenges, no doubt. Uh, when you think about sales teams, you know, they aren't terribly different from other teams. You've still got issues around, you know, taking the time out of your day to do the, the training and some of the technology challenges and hurdles of having to look all over the place for your training and find it. And, you know, having teams that are, you know, across the globe or, you know, at least um, in some way, uh, you know, in, in different areas of the country. Um, but if you think of sales teams specifically, there's at least three things that come to mind that are very unique. One is that most salespeople operate off commissions and they typically don't like stopping what they're doing to <laughs> go and stop earning commissions. So when you think about training as sort of the obligatory or required aspect of, of your job and you're not earning any money for it, um, well, that sometimes doesn't sit well with a sales organization or salesperson. So that's one of the big challenges is being able to tell the story that this training is uh, valuable and that it's uh, something that is going to lead to even bigger uh, pots of gold at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> um, from The second thing I, I see is that they don't like things that are boring. Salespeople tend to be pretty dynamic, pretty engaged people. They probably have a sales job because they like shaking hands and kissing babies. We always say not to get those confused. But um, at the end of the day, uh, the, the the boring training that's out there, um, that's just a very quick turnoff for a sales team and a salesperson. So uh, making that content as interesting and engaging as possible is going to go a long way. Um, and then uh, the last one is that it's uh, a lot of sales teams report back to us that you know the trainings are relevant. You know, they've been in the job for five years, ten years, or longer. Maybe they're brand new to the company. Uh, the one-size-fits-none approach is something we look to avoid, and, and I can tell you that many sales folks will be out there telling you that you know, they, they kind of click next to continue and that it's not very relevant content to them. So finding ways to meet the, the sales learner where they are in the, in the process and where they are in their journey for learning is really important, and, and oftentimes that's a, that's a miss. Yeah. You know, you talked a lot about good reasons why people are reluctant to take any sort of training how do you create the buy-in um, that's needed to overcome those uh, those three things that you just mentioned? Because they're real, and, um, and I'm sure, Dave, based on what you just uh, shared, that, that everyone's probably facing those three things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's the, the carrot and the stick, you know. Um, you can certainly go in and say this is required training and continue to make uh, – make lists of shame to get people to do the work over time. But um, the best way, of course, is to create something that's so engaging, so helpful, um, so personal that um, it's, uh, it's really out of, just a re out of just sort of an interest that they have or, or like your favorite Netflix show, something that you want to go back and do. In fact, some of the best training we've seen done um, is the training where people are requesting more of it. And, and, you know, it's very rare to see that. So the big thing is to make sure it's contextual, make sure that it actually feels real, feels like something that exists in the field today. Oftentimes we see the not invented here kind of syndrome where you don't have 
sales folks involved as SMEs or when we do the training content, it doesn't quite sound like it really would um, or doesn't feel like it really should. And so making sure that it's as authentic and real to what your culture is and the real scenarios um, helps a lot. Dave, talk to me a minute about how how forward-thinking companies are meeting some of these challenges. Yeah, uh, the the best thing I can tell you is that they don't think of it in terms of an event. It's not like we have the training, we're executing, get on March, whatever, and we're done. Um, Those types of moments or event-based training uh, get a a rise or a high for about 90 days, and then you start to see the same results um, pretty quickly thereafter. In fact, more and more data is coming in now indicating that the average learner forgets most of what they've been taught in the first day. And uh, we, we have to come up with programs that are better to improve skills over time and, and look for progress versus perfection after the first day of training. So we tend to think of it in terms of uh, preparing, performing, and improving. And most forward-thinking companies are doing something along these lines, and that is you know, preparing pre-work, making sure that you're thinking through as much as the, of the acquisition of knowledge as you can uh, before you actually come into some event, whether it's ILT, VILT, some sort of simulation, whatever it is. Performing is this idea of most of the the real training happens on the job. The concept of on-the-job training will never really go away. And in fact, if it's leveraged correctly in terms of a structured approach, it can can be exponentially better for that learner um, to increase uh, the speed to competence and to decrease the amount of um, turnover that you would have during those first really important days and months of someone's new job. And then the last bit is improve, which is to say that, you know, there's a culture of sustainment or ongoing learning, and that is reinforcement, quick quizzes, um, we, we you know, refer to them as micro-turning or micro-quizzes, micro having the opportunity to do um, little huddles or, you know, types of simulations that allow you to practice what you're supposed to be practicing and improving over time. And then obviously a way to feedback loop the whole thing so that managers can help you improve and give you uh, feedback and, and additional support as you need it. Yeah, so you're describing something that's continuous versus uh, a one-and-done type right. kind of thing, right? It's a, it's a framework that continues to the learning cycle. Exactly right. You know, you talk about managers a little bit. If I'm a manager, you know, how do I support my team during the training process? One of the coolest things, I, it's a great question because one of the coolest things that I think about uh, is how much impact the manager can have during this process. And, you know, there's aspects that um, can be done face-to-face, and then there's aspects that can be done in an asynchronous way via technology. So, you know, one of the benefits that we have with technology with dispersed teams is that, you know, you can provide feedback back and forth. You can do programs where you're, you're, you're doing maybe video-based content, and you're sharing that with your manager, and your manager's giving you feedback on it. Um, there's opportunity to uh, allow the managers to lead by example and have them show how it's done and set, set the example of what good looks like. Um, but basically, managers giving the opportunity to the trainer, the trainees, their employees to learn, giving them uh, great coaching, uh, creating a framework for coaching to help or a rubric that helps the manager to stay within the guardrails, if you will, and then some structure behind it is actually very helpful. So um, a, a part of this is training the trainer, making sure that we aren't just putting our best sales guy in the manager role, but that actually we're giving them the right tools and resources to be um, to be effective. Dave, you, you talked a lot earlier about the importance of really great content. You know, I think of sales teams, and it's more than just knowledge of their products and things. There's a lot of skill that needs to be developed. Mm-hmm. You know, what have you seen um, kind of in your experience be some of the best techniques to actually develop those sales skills with teams? 
Yeah. Uh, well, skills are one of those things that have to be uh, practiced quite a bit. So we talk about it in terms of preparing and performing, um, you know, somewhere between acquiring the information or knowledge you need, but then also having a chance to to, to practice it and try it and, and ideally practice it in a way that um, isn't putting you in the line of fire, you know, where you're doing it for the first time. So I think a lot about, you know, this from two angles. One is obviously time, taking time to do it, practicing, getting feedback, um, watching others, then trying to replicate things of that nature. But then also with technology, you know, you start to think about things like simulations or, or video or even um, more immersive experiences like VR and AR. Uh, specifically VR for for skills and AR more for knowledge. But if you think about it, um, you know, creating a scenario where somebody can experience something in a more immersive immersive environment, be able to go through and answer certain questions, see what the outcome is, and then learn from that, and then come back and report on that, and then demonstrate it to somebody. That's a really good way for you to start to build some lifelong skills um, in a, in an environment that's reasonably um, easy to execute on because, you, you know, you're not talking about bringing people together for big conferences or flying all over the country, so on and so forth. Um, in addition to that, it's really important that we continue to refine those skills over time. So we create models um, that show progress. So, you know, moving from, you know, an acceptable to good to great type of model or, you know, some sort of continuum that shows, okay, well, this is one sales skill that would be considered to be good, but something that would be even better would be this. And so the opportunity to um, coach around a framework that continues to praise that progress um, is very helpful for a sales organization. That's great. Tell me a little bit about how an LMS like Spoke um, supports effective training um, hmm. you know, for, for a sales organization. Yeah, LMSs are, are sort of one of those things that you almost have to have, right? They're the place you put your training, you go in, you click on it, you take it, you get reports. Um, the, the best case scenario is when you start getting into interactive, game-based, and um, more progressive learning, um, you start to get into an even better environment where you know it's more personalized, it's more relevant, it's team-based, um, it's more collaborative. Um, those are the types of things you're looking for in today's modern um, platforms. And so the idea, you know, to be able to come together, ask the ex- expert, maybe you are the expert and you're, you're taking on a different role inside of that community, um, being able to search very quickly for content, tagged content that's very relevant, team-based, specific to my role, um, that personalized learning experience is becoming more and more important because there's there's less time for sales organizations to go spend looking through SharePoint sites, intranet sites, all over their desktop trying to find something. And you're try, you're starting to see this this merge between the sales tools that somebody might use and their learning tools. And so the environment that that is allowing for more efficiency is the one that's going to be the best for a sales organization, just simply because you want to maximize their phone time, their infield time, their sales time. And you don't want them digging around for stuff trying to figure out where it is. Yeah. Yeah, we talked uh, in a, at a previous uh, podcast about accessibility, and it, it yeah. kind of resonates here, which is don't make it hard for me to find and make it easy for me to access. That's right. Yeah. You know, this is kind of one of those, uh, you know, crazy questions, but it, it's often, I think, misunderstood. I mean, what is the rhythm or cadence for sales training? How often should people be training you know, their sales organization. Yeah, I think uh, there's two schools of thought here. There's one that says we do it when we have, when we have a problem, and then the other one is you do it every day. And so <laughs> uh, ideally you want to be focused on um, some sort of lifelong journey for training. There's no, you know, finish line. There's no 
sense of perfection that we always have an opportunity to sharpen the saw a little bit and get get closer and closer to um, you know our best selves and so you know perhaps that is in and I'm a master at, at selling I've, I've achieved all my quotas my goals and every time they raise them I, I still hit them well maybe it's time for me to become a mentor to others maybe it's my opportunity to train and learn how to become a manager or somebody who can actually influence others um, so there's always an opportunity or there should always be an opportunity to continue that training the the reason for it is that we we get stale we kind of go to the least path of resistance and uh, humans tend to default back to this place of, you know, sort of bad habits, if you will. So micro training can be helpful, um, small, you know, one minute quizzes that can yield a, a prize or a reward, a, a level up on the leaderboard, bragging rights, um, opportunities to ask a question and, uh, you know, let the learner vote for their confidence in their answer. You know, how confident are you in your answer? These are, these are things that are really fun and interesting ways to get people to stay engaged with the training and not even completely realize they're doing training. You know, part of this is anytime I go on Google or watch a YouTube video to learn something, I don't really realize I'm being trained. But in fact, I'm learning something new. So ideally, it's it's sort of training disguised as entertainment in some way. Yeah, it's almost uh, it needs to be intentionally built into the culture yeah. and, and the rhythm, it sounds like, of the sales team. But the minute we stop doing that, the minute it turns into event based training or problem based training, um, that's that's when people see right through it. What, you know, this is a little fun, Dave. I, I love the stories and experiences that you've had over the years with working with clients. Uh, you know, t- think about maybe the the single biggest challenge that that you've helped a company overcome in their training journey, and maybe share a little bit how you you, you executed that with with a client. You know, it, it's hard to pick one. Um, there's there's a number of challenges that people face. I think the single biggest one is the change management that comes with integrating uh, or or really establishing a new culture of training, you know, coming into a company, especially a company that has um, its training model pretty entrenched, you know, this is the way we do things here, so to speak, or maybe we have an outside vendor coming in and training and facilitating once a year, that type of thing. But but any type of uh, bold move to change your culture into a culture of training requires a change management strategy. And so, um, you know, we we have some experience with that. and, And one that comes to mind is where, you know, the company was struggling trying to get multiple groups and teams in the company aligned around a singular vision and, and trying to drive that as a, uh, a cohesive force for the company, in particular for uh, creating cohesion and uh, alignment on the customer experience that was going to be generated from that. Uh, this was challenging, really challenging. A lot of different points of view, uh, many different people wanting to go back to the old way, a lot of resistance, and it requires a lot of tenacity and uh, a lot of uh, you know explaining what's in it for them and why it's important to them and uh, walking through the future vision of what it will feel like and look like uh, when this work is done, um, their contribution to it, um, how they can help to change and shape the culture and what that will look like a year or two, five from now. Um, it, it, these are these are really important slow down to go fast kind of moments within an organization where you got to make sure you bring everyone with you. It, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that, you know, if you want to go fast, you go alone. And if you want to go far, you go together. And this is the opportunity. So change management, I would say, is probably some of the biggest challenges. The single biggest one comes to mind. And and when it's done well, you can shift a company, uh, even a big company, around a brand new le- learning culture. Uh, but it's the only way to do it. You just can't come in and, you know, crack the whip and hope everyone follows. Yeah. It, when you think of um, maybe a couple of nuggets here, Dave, just some big lessons you've learned from leaders going through that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, any pivotal moments or kind of 
milestones that kind of stick out to you on kind of what leaders did to help their teams overcome that kind of transformation? Yeah, it almost always requires a senior leader who's willing to you know, get into the arena and, and take the battle scars, if you will, uh, you know, and, and stand up and say, hey, we, we have a vision for the future and, and we're, we're committed to that vision. It then takes uh, folks on the team, uh, hopefully these are senior people who can model that, can be supportive of that, can get behind it, and then um, it generally uh, leads to a place where you can either pilot things, you know, try things in a smaller community or group, test you know, different concepts in different uh, locations or within different teams, and ultimately data, uh, being able to capture information that says here's what we were before, here's where we are now based on the KPIs that we're looking to influence. And, uh, you know, it's really challenging if the data comes back, uh, you know, in, in a way that indicates we're making progress. It's really challenging to, to argue that in any sort of setting. So as much as we can possibly capture any quantitative or qualitative data, that helps tremendously for those leaders as well. That's wonderful. Well, I think that is a wrap. I really appreciate you joining me today, Dave. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. This is Brian Leach from Unbox Technology. Thank you for joining our podcast today, and we will see you on a future program.